in the front yard of the house in Minnesota where I spent the first 18 years of my life, there is a maple tree. I assume it is still there, though my parents haven't lived in that house for years. There was nothing particularly special about it. It wasn't particularly old or large or beautiful, but it was smack dab in the middle of the yard. My sister and I spent lots of time climbing it and hanging upside down from its branches when we were kids, and I remember lots about it. I remember its leaves were thick and bright green all summer, and gold and magenta in the fall. I remember its bark was smooth and light gray. I remember pushing on its thick trunk with all of my strength when I was little and noticing how it didn't budge an inch. From one season to another, year after year, it was as sturdy and stable as anything else I knew in the world. As I said, there was nothing all that special about it, but it's the tree I feel I know best still. What about you? Can you think of a tree that you particularly know well? Maybe it's near where you live right now, Or maybe it's one in a yard or a park where you grew up. What type of tree is it? What sort of leaves does it have? What does it look like? What does it feel like? What does it smell like? I want to give you a moment to call it to mind. I would like you to keep that particular tree that you know well with you this morning. Maybe sort of take a mental seat back against its trunk or up in one of its branches. Because our readings this morning are filled with trees. And not just any trees. For Psalm 1 and the prophet Jeremiah, the tree is an image for a faithful life. Those two are not alone in the Bible in making this comparison. There are other psalms that cover similar ground, and the prophet Isaiah speaks of the restored community as oaks of righteousness. What is it about this image that keeps the biblical authors and people of faith ever since coming back to it again and again? Here's my hunch, because it's an image that speaks the truth. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord, says Jeremiah, whose trust is the Lord. They shall be like a tree planted by water, sending out its roots by the stream. It shall not fear when heat comes, and its leaves shall stay green. In the year of drought, it is not anxious, and it does not cease to bear fruit. In those short couple of verses, Jeremiah says an awful lot about what the life of faith is like and also a lot about what it isn't like. A life of faith in God, or trust in God, as Jeremiah puts it, offers much. It offers stability, an alternative to fear and anxiety. It offers freshness, the gift of being fed and nourished by something beyond yourself. It offers fruitfulness, the opportunity to bear something good into the world. It offers rootedness, groundedness, the reality of being planted in rich soil. Those are wonderful things, 
and they are true. Through the centuries, countless people of faith have found that a life of trusting God really does offer stability and freshness and fruitfulness and rootedness. It really does plant you in good soil and give you room to grow and flourish. Yes, that's right. It does offer that. And here's what Jeremiah says it doesn't offer. It doesn't offer a world without seasons, a world where there is no cold in the winter or heat in the summer. It doesn't offer a promise that droughts will never come. It does not offer invincibility to the elements. The idea that God basically rewards good people with smooth sailing in life and punishes bad ones with stormy seas is an immensely popular one, so popular that it can be hard to shake in ourselves. But that is not at all what Jeremiah's image here suggests. Scorching heat comes for everyone. Drought comes for everyone. Trust in God will not exempt you from those times, but it will give you a way through them. Rootedness and freshness, a source of life beyond yourself. The image works because it's true. A number of years ago, I traveled with a few colleagues to a conference uh, that was taking place in Florida. Our group were all pastors from Western Washington, which is the exact opposite corner of the United States. So we had a long day of travel home when the conference ended. We showed up at the airport in Florida bright and early that day, only to be told that our direct flight had been canceled and we were now being routed through Los Angeles where we'd hopefully catch a close connection and still get home by the end of the day. I know this is a familiar sort of story and you all probably know where this is going. There were delays on the way, so we were a bit late getting to Los Angeles and we ran through the airport and missed our connection by just 10 minutes. The plane was still there at the gate when we arrived, but the doors were closed and we were told we couldn't get on that flight. So you're gonna have to talk to customer service, they said, where we were politely informed that we would likely be on a flight home two days later. We could try for standby on another flight that night, but we shouldn't get our hopes up. This probably wouldn't work. Our group were a sorry sight at the standby gate. Two of the group members, Mike and Rowena, were, they had taken off somewhere on their own with their infant daughter who was traveling with them. Sarah, another group member, was deflated and quietly frustrated there. And I was less quietly frustrated, complaining to Sarah, complaining to the people at the gate, complaining to anybody who would listen to me. Two days away from home, and when we had missed the flight just by a few minutes, by no fault of our own, I was filled with sort of righteous indignation and sat there fuming in my chair. And while I was busying myself cursing this ridiculous system that had gotten us into this mess, Mike and Rowena and little Karen returned from their walk with a great big bag from an airport restaurant. Mike sat down next to me and without saying a word, put a sandwich in my hand that was still warm in its wrapper. And something sort of melted in me they were traveling with an infant and all of her gear. They had lots more reason to be frustrated than I did. And yet here they were, not pouting or grumbling, but actually taking care of the rest of us. They were trees planted by the water with roots reaching deep down by the stream. And so this little storm was no big deal.
This is a very ordinary example, and that was just a little storm, of course. I'm pretty sure Jeremiah had much bigger things in mind when he wrote about the season of drought that can come to a landscape. Jeremiah lived to see Jerusalem attacked by the Babylonians in the 6th century BCE. He watched as this foreign superpower destroyed the city and demolished the temple and took most of the survivors far off into exile. Jeremiah saw the trouble that was coming much sooner than anybody around him wanted to hear about it. And as he searched for an image of what it might look like to be faithful, to endure through a time of enormous upheaval and uncertainty, he looked around him at the landscape. And he saw that there are trees that manage to live and even to flourish in that dry climate with its sandy soil and scorching heat and times when the rains stop coming altogether. Their roots go deep to underground sources of water or wide to streams and rivers that continue to flow. That's what it looks like to trust in God, he said. The heat comes, the drought comes, but you can manage and even still bear fruit because you are planted by the water. He saw something else in that landscape too, little shrubs sprouting up in the desert, far from any stable sources of water. You'll notice I didn't ask you all to think of a shrub that you know particularly well earlier in the service. <laughs> Might be a little trickier for many of us. The roots of these plants Jeremiah saw are fragile, barely holding on to anything. That's what it looks like to trust in mere mortals, he said. The seasons change and you have precious little to rely on. Those poor shrubs didn't exactly mean for things to be this way, of course. They didn't consciously decide to put down their roots in dry, crummy soil. But that's what happens, Jeremiah says, when we put our trust in people or things that don't deserve it. In powerful or charismatic leaders, or in the approval of others, or some sense of our own invincibility. When we do that, we end up poorly planted, far from the nourishment we need and anxious and fearful when change comes. All of this can sound a little bit deterministic, I realize, like, good job if you're a big, strong tree, and shucks, too bad if you're a scrawny little shrub. But I don't think that's what Jeremiah means at all here. Our translation says, Blessed are those who trust in the Lord. They shall be like a tree planted by water. But what the Hebrew actually says is, They shall be like a tree replanted by water. Like a tree that's been moved there from somewhere else. To me, that says it is never too late to move where you are planted. It's never too late to sink your roots down into some better soil. It says if you've been putting your trust where it doesn't belong, then there is no time like the present to trust in the grace and love of God instead. It is never too late to replant yourself there, to root yourself more deeply in that dark, rich soil. It won't keep times of drought from coming. It won't keep the burning sun or the biting cold away but it will offer stability, freshness, nourishment, even in the harshest of weather. 
Are you still leaning up against the trunk of that tree you know well? Let it remind you of what trust in God is like. Let it remind you that when we are planted by the water or replanted by the water, there is life to be tapped into in any season. That is good news, friends, an invitation and a blessing for you today. Thanks be to God. Amen.